Hello. Hey. We got someone on the line. This is Ergo. This is indeed. I'm Damon. I'm Kiss. And we are very, very glad to have a special guest on the line with us. Charlene Grace is here. Thank you all for having me. Thank you for Thank being you so here much with us. for uh for, for sitting and talking into your phone while Damon, are you still in the same room you were before? I'm still in my clothes I, closet. Yeah. I am. I am next to my clothes closet in in a small room. You know, obviously this is a little bit different from a regular Ergo episode, uh, but I think we can start in the same place. Uh, it's a little bit of a more of a loaded question than usual, but in this time, this moment, this season, how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world, Sean? Well, you know, today my answer is a little more hopeful than it would have been yesterday um, because I went this morning to this amazing solidarity caravan um, and got to see hundreds of people from across the city showing up outside ICE headquarters, outside the federal jail, the juvenile jail and Cook County jail um, and demanding the mass release of people inside and um, heard people inside responding, got to talk to several family members who have loved ones inside the jail right now about how important it was for us all to be able to show up and fight together. And it really has given me more hope um, than I felt sort of alone in my house, um, talking to people on Zoom and, and trying to figure out how we can get people out of the jail. Um, but like the chance to share space and make noise and reduce the isolation of people inside and also the isolation of all of us out here. Um, it was really uplifting. And so I'm trying to soak that in from the world um, and also try to give that back to the world. And it really re- reminds me how much organizing and activism give back to me, you know? So for those listening who may be unfamiliar, you know, this is um, a very apt conversation to be having right now because uh, many folks who uh, are concerned about incarceration and prisons and jails, uh, but may not be in tune. Uh, we're talking to to one of the co-founders of the Chicago Community Bond Fund, uh, which is a space and organization that we really love. And we can get into, you know, some of the nitty gritty of what that means. But, you know, you and your team have been doing the work of like tangible decarceration work, tangible abolitionist work. Um, and so the perspective of, you know, the, sorry to be jumbled, but what is invigorating me in this time is all the things that were abstract are so real and concrete right now. Um, so we've always said uh, that incarceration is death factories. Um, and, and we've said that this is a public health crisis, uh, you know, through for generations and for years and for decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But now it is immediate and concrete and tangible. Um, and you don't need any political education. You don't need any metaphors. You don't need any statistics to know um, that this is dangerous. So how has the fact that people knowing that decarceration is a real need right now um, shift the landscape for y'all who's been doing this work while a lot of it's been happening in the shadows or without larger public attention? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I will say, I think the 
Bond Fund is a relatively young organization, and we actually have um, enjoyed a lot of public support, both because we started organizing together in the fall of 2014, just as Ferguson was rebelling and as the Black Lives Matter movement was really coming to prominence. And so I think we have in a lot of ways enjoyed the spotlight um, on this issue and on the issue of how um, racist and punishing and death making, like you said, Damon, um, the system of mass criminalization, mass incarceration is. And so I don't I definitely don't feel like we've been doing it in the shadows. Um, I think we've benefited a lot from the risks that people have taken to bring these issues to the forefront so that they are um, they are highlighted, they are spotlighted, they are front and center much more than they used to be. One thing I've been trying to hold on to, which is also connected to the larger movement, it's connected to um, where we're coming from, is a month ago when, when we first put out a statement calling for release of people from the jail because of the threat of COVID-19 and the coronavirus, there were 5,600 people in Cook County Jail, which is so many people. But I am trying to hold on to also the fact that there were 11,000 people 10 years ago and that four years ago, five years ago when the bond fund started organizing, there were 8,500 people. So the fact that we already had so many fewer thousands of people who were in this really high risk situation, whose health and lives were in danger um, when we started pushing for release is something I'm trying to keep in mind as a victory while also you know, not letting go of all the people who are still inside. And and I'm hoping that right now, with what people understand about the inherent dangers of jails and prisons and immigration detention, with what people understand about how it's never sanitary, how it's always ripe for the outbreak of a contagious disease and for sickness, and that people inside don't get care that they deserve and need, if we can get as many people out now as possible, that we can hold on to that and we can figure out how to say, hey, two weeks ago, there were 5,600 people in Cook County Jail. Now there are 4,600 people. If those 1,000 people didn't need to be there, why were they there? How do we prevent them from being there in the future? How do we prevent new people from being put in that position in the future? Um, And hopefully we can get a lot more people out now too before we have that conversation. One thing that Damon and I have been talking about a lot uh, in the previous episode was the way that this moment is exposing like both the global interconnectedness and also the particularities of American structures. And and I think one thing that really highlights that is the fact that other countries have more effectively moved to decarcerate larger percentages of their populations that are in cages. Are there any logics, tactics, things that you've observed happening in other places that are happening in other contexts that are informing the ways y'all are doing this work here? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, bang, bang. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's hard. I think we've definitely tried to, you know, raise up other countries that have released thousands and sometimes tens of thousands of people as examples. Um, and we do run into this U.S. exceptionalism in the criminal legal system and in our own history of white supremacy and anti-Black racism. 
And that's always a problem in the space, right? Other, you know, it's whenever like a liberal reform organization goes to Norway and tours the prisons there, and then they come back and they try to have the conversation, people are like, well, can you have a kinder, gentler prison system in this country with our extreme oppression and our extreme commitment to punishment? So I think sometimes for that reason, we do run into limits. And I think I think what we're running into also is the places where we have to continue to grow our movement and we have to continue to be noisy, right? To, to be noisy, to lift up um, the realities of what our current system does and doesn't accomplish, to lift up the people who survive it um, and the people who don't survive it. And we have a lot of work still to do ahead of us. Um, and I think one of the conversations that I found myself having a lot in the last couple of weeks is, is it's just so clear that for elected officials right now who are being asked to release people from prisons and jails, that their calculus is about this imaginary harm, this Willie Horton effect on their own career, right? The mm-hmm. political mailers that they'll get in two years when they run again. They're so focused on that that they are completely comfortable with the deaths that they will cause, right? One of these things is a political liability and the other is not. And we should name that and we should be crystal clear about what that calculation is and the fact that our elected officials are prioritizing their own careers over the lives of overwhelmingly black and brown people. And I'm not even 100% convinced that they're wrong, right? I mean, there is... We know that there is a very deep-seated commitment to punishment and fear of people who've been criminalized, and that the media, the traditional media will amplify that, that there is a lot of power and money and the certain voting blocks that are committed to that. So they might not even be wrong, but we should continue to do everything we can to create political liabilities for them in maintaining the status quo. And in this case killing people um, because because they're afraid of that. They might not be wrong, but they're wrong. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> right. They're not wrong about the potential they may be cost, but they're... Ex- yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. But it is wrong. <laughs> and it's not excusable. It's in no way excusable, right? I think that maybe is like where it comes from is like it's being offered back as an excuse of like, well, you know, this is going to happen. Well, Kim Fox might have won the primary, but she still has the general and blah, 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 whatever it is. Or this this fear, like it's being offered as an excuse. And I guess part of that is saying, yeah, you might be right that there might be enough racist white people in Cook County or in Illinois to respond in this way. And also your political career isn't worth all these people's lives. They're like, I disagree. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Fine, let's have that debate. Yeah, but stop yeah, having yeah. a debate about we can't do it. Or but you have to do it out exactly, loud now. Exactly. So, so there's so many rich political things that, that you're saying. I mean, really a statement of if we can release a thousand people and everything is okay, um, then why were they there in the first place? Um it's so rich and I want to tease that out more. And that like connects to, I think what's so interesting about this moment is that our political issues aren't isolated right now. So in the same way where we could say, Hey, if you could put a freeze on evictions, then we can survive without that structure. Um, and I think you can go down the line, you know, medicine and medical care at large. So that was really rich for me. And I am 
putting a pin in that. I want to make sure again that I don't want to get too carried away. I want us to take a step back um, and just get a little understanding of what's like been going on on like a technical on the ground level with like just the institution in terms of like what was going on with jails and money bond the week before this was really part of our public consciousness. And now when we're demanding, you know, release them all, free them all, whose decisions are, is that? What would the process of that be? Can the bond fund still operate in the way that it was in terms of like bailing people out? Is court even open? Like what are the necessity? Like I'm not, very much in tune of like what's happening day to day. Um, and so before we get into these very important big movement things, I just want to make sure folks have some of the like tangible information of what's going on. Totally. And I think as a precursor to that update, it's important for listeners to understand that Chicago Community Bond Fund does two things. We do the thing that's in our name, right? We operate a bail fund. Um, we have paid approaching $2 million to free more than 300 people from Cook County Jail in the last three and a half years. But we also advocate for systems change, for policy change, to put ourselves out of operation, right? To create a world in which people are not being booked into the jail and in which there is no need for there to be a bail fund to purchase their freedom and to make sure there are as few people in jail as possible. Ultimately, no one. You know, this spring before the crisis hit, we were working with our partners in the coalition to end money bond to have conversations about state legislation potentially ending money bond. Governor Pritzker declared that it was one of his top criminal justice priorities for the state um, for this year, 2020, to end money bond. So we were in those conversations trying to push them left, trying to make sure that as many people as free as many people as possible got free in that conversation, which obviously has been completely shut down. There's no legislative session. And um, if there is, whenever there is some kind of legislative session, it'll probably just be for the budget and for essential stuff. So, Oh God, um, can you imagine state senators on zoom? (laughs) (laughs) I, I uh, cannot. And I, I, don't think it would go well. So it's like, what is what does this button do? It's like fifteen thousand grandpas trying to talk to each other on Zoom at the same time. Yes, and then there would also be like the lobbyists, so that would be like a whole nother very interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so ba- I mean, we had this, we had this sort of really intense campaign, the statewide campaign that we've been building with partners all around the state um, now for over a year. And this was going to be the year. And now it looks like, oh, well, I guess that's just not happening. So we'll talk about that in 2021. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we really just pivoted to focus so much on on this response um, because of the urgency of the situation and the extreme consequences of so many people remaining in the jail during this pandemic. So what does that response pivot look like? So um, the very first thing that we did as the bond fund was put together a statement, um, an open letter to Cook County officials highlighting the risk that people were in in Cook County Jail and then issuing a list of demands for releasing as many people as possible, for stopping the flow of people into the jail 
um, taking a number of steps to ensure that thousands of people were released, and then also highlighting um, a number of things that people inside, if if people, any people who weren't released, highlighting things that they would need to say as safe as possible inside. Um, so better access to cleaning and personal hygiene items, um, the ability to resolve their cases, go to trial still if they needed to, right? Not just being indefinitely stuck in the jail because the court's closed, um, so there aren't normal court hearings. Um, They shut down visits, so ensuring that people can access the phone or any other way that they have to communicate um, with their loved ones on the outside. Um, So trying to keep some of those lines of communication open that are so important for people inside, we put out that open letter on March 13th, and it now has more than 100 organizations that are part of it, that have signed hey. on and supported the demand. So in terms of like normal functions, the ways folks would get released or decarcerated are not accessible right now. So more or less, the only way folks can get re- released is through a like top down out of the ordinary, like responsive, like move from, I'm imagining, either the sheriff or the state's attorney's office? Yes, good question. So, um, in general, people leave because their case is dismissed or they're found not guilty at trial or they're convicted and they get probation. So they leave the jail where they were awaiting trial and then they come back to the community after they've been convicted. A great irony of our system. Wow. Um, And because most court cases, the dates are just being moved forward, there is not an expectation that cases are going to resolve at the same rate or cases will be dismissed at the same rate, right? People won't have the same option to move on in whatever way that means. And um, at the same time, new cases are being filed. Um, It's a lower number of cases, but it's still some cases. How much Um, lower? I don't actually know in terms of how many cases are being filed. I have heard and read in different articles that the sheriff's office is getting, you know, one half to one third of the normal admissions to the jail. So a significantly lower number. Um, But I haven't seen still too many, still haven't seen um, necessarily the concrete numbers to back that up. In relation to the open letter and your question about who has power, One of the things the Bond Fund and many of our allied organizations have been doing over the last several weeks is organizing this call-in campaign. And we have had three targets for that call-in campaign, the Cook County Sheriff, Tom Dart, the Office of the Cook County Chief Judge, Timothy Evans, and then the state's attorney, Kimberly Fox. The sheriff has obviously the clearest connection to the jail and that he is in charge of how people are treated while there in his custody, he does have some power under state law to move people to different facilities. It's tricky, though, because we don't want people to just be moved into their right. homes on some kind of electronic monitoring or some kind of house arrest. Right. And we want people to actually be out. Of course, people we want to also recognize, and acknowledge that people who are inside, if that's the only option they have, if they would choose that and prefer that, that that, of course, is something we would support. But it's not where we want to start with our demands. And um, the judges, of course, make decisions. There was a whole process by which they did a bunch of bond reviews and got a bunch of judges in to be able to hear them all. But many of the bond reviews, people would come in and they'd say, you know, I have this $5,000 bond that I can't pay. 
Can I have a lower bond? Can I be released without paying money? I'm awaiting trial, whatever it is. Also, there's a pandemic. My health is at risk <laughs> in this in this place. And just by the way, <laughs> by the way, and many judges said, no, you're staying. No, bond is staying. You know, same. I'm not changing anything about this. Go back in the jail. And the the person who died on Sunday, who was the first person to die while in the custody of Cook County Jail, um, Jeffrey Pendleton was there because he hadn't paid $5,000 to get out of the jail. Um, he was there on a $50,000 debond. And if someone who cared about him, someone in his life had been able to come up with $5,000 and purchase his freedom, he would not have been in the jail. Mm. He'd been in the jail since 2018, I believe. So we know he came in contact with us in the jail. We know that the rate of infection in the jail is 40 times higher than it is in the general population of Cook County. So it's a I'm sorry, it's can a, you say that one more time? The rate of infection in the jail is 40 times higher than it is in Cook County? Correct. It's well, very, I, you didn't have to say I said it. Sorry. You said, I said it. Said it yes. And and you know, then the New York Times has a tracker that people keep referring to that says the number one cluster of cases in the United States is Cook County Jail. You know, I don't like to say that because it actually I'm a little confused about what their criteria are where they exclude Rikers, where there are like twice as many cases. There's a lot of there's hundreds of cases here among incarcerated people. There's twice as many, still many hundreds of cases in Rikers. This is what everyone said would happen in jails because of how close people are together um, and because of how impossible it is to practice social distancing inside. But I don't want to lose track of the decision makers. So judges do make decisions and a lot of them are doing that political calculus we talked about earlier in their heads and they're refusing to let people out and they're forcing people to stay in these dangerous situations. But really the most powerful person in this system is the state's attorney, right? So the judge and the sheriff, they can only make decisions in someone's case if the state's attorney has chosen to prosecute that case, right? If a judge says, no, I require $5,000 for you to go free pretrial, the state's attorney could say, my investment in prosecuting this case is not worth your death. I'm going to dismiss the case. Boom, the person's out of the jail, right? That is that is the most important, powerful role, role here. And I think that has been obscured some. And by the way, we also don't know what Chicago police are doing in response to this, right? If they're significantly decreasing who they're arresting for what, um, seems like they are, but I don't know if we've seen clear directives given to them or not. I also, and this is this is a little tangential, I just have been thinking about, like, it does seem like cops would be the most effective way to be transmitting this virus. Like, the worst social distancing <laughs> practice is people driving around the city, like, physically accosting yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I know that there are now do- a bunch of documented cases within CPD, and it's like, just, again, people kind of telling on them, it's like one more way that this is not an efficient way to take care of people and to take care of issues yeah. and, and to address harm. Yeah. So we don't know what's happening with CPD and police. Um, like what breadcrumbs should we, we should know that what breadcrumbs should we look to uh, or who would be the people or the body? Or how would we, if you were like trying to figure that out, who, what would you suggest people do to, to know how police are responding to this moment? Or can we know? Great question. We should know because it should be something that the mayor is covering when she does press conferences about COVID-19, right? Um, If there's a conversation about the wildly disproportionate 
impact that COVID-19 is having on Black Chicagoans and Black residents of Cook County, then we should also look at policing. We should also look at, at all these things that target Black communities and put them in harm's way, like you said, right? That there are all these positive cases in the police, that there's, after someone's arrested, if they end up going to the jail, that that is a dangerous place. So I'd love to see, as the mayor is announcing these initiatives to deal with the racial disparities and the impact of COVID-19, to know what is being done about policing and what instructions police have been given not to arrest um, for certain things. Yeah. So so part of the, the goal of these on-the-line conversations is uh, to really figure out what are the ways and kind of recalibrate the ways that the two of us and then also our listeners can be contributing to the work that is happening. Um, you mentioned the calling campaign. I wonder if you can just share a little bit, like what should people be doing to help get that number down from 4,000 something to the zero it should be right now? Yeah, great question. Um, so people can continue calling and emailing. There were new graphics that went out today with the Solidarity Caravan, giving people numbers to call, both for people in Cook County Jail and for people in Illinois prisons and the juvenile jail and federal jail. So if you all are going to share those, those are great instructions for people to follow what if we were just like nah, nah our, our ig is too our ig is too popping for that no no we, we we gotta we gotta get the selfie though we have a rotation here um, so sharing those numbers colin is there anything else that people should be doing just the same thing we're all trying to do in that spirit of caring for each other right now um you know, finding mutual aid ne- networks in the city or in your specific neighborhood and figuring out if there's a way you can contribute towards getting people the resources they need. Um, but we're really trying to figure out, take it day by day and figure out what might be effective this week. Maybe there'll be another noise demo outside the jail. We don't know. Um Damon, were you the one saying we're going to do that every month? I want to do it every <laughs> um, month. <laughs> um, I think, you know, as long as this is going on, I, I think people inside would appreciate that. Um, everything is like politics right now with me. So I'm sorry. <laughs> You're like, how do you feel? And I'm like, here's what Lori Lightfoot should be doing. <laughs> <laughs> no, hell yeah. Um, so so kind of in, in maneuvering that tension. Same, what were you going to ask? I'm ready to pull the pin out. What? Let's get into that big talk. Um, and I want to use today kind of to ground talking about this moment. And I think we try to imagine we're, we're speaking to a new audience or someone who's not thinking about this and we're like changing their whole worldview. Uh, but recognizing more and more that a lot of our conversations are with people who care deeply about these things, who, if it's not a part of their work, at least a central part of their understanding of how they're positioned in the world, uh, whether we're talking about carceral systems or just like systemic injustice and oppression at large, right? Um, and so we're able to talk about them differently now. Uh, so I just mm-hmm. want to get into that. I think the idea of like a thousand people being decarcerated is not a risk to our society. A thousand, five thousand people being incarcerated is though. Um, and so today, um, which another reason why we're grateful for you hopping on after an active day, uh, this is a transformative time. This is a shift in our paradigm. Um, so today was, you know, we've alluded to it, but this beautiful uh, noise action or, or parade vehicle parade 
parade uh, around Cook County Jail and other carceral sit, uh, you know, institutions in the city. Um, and just like to speak personally, you know, as I was pulling up uh, for like five minutes late, right on time, you know, just got emotional qu- <laughs> quickly, uh, you yeah. know, as, as just going around the circle, you know, seeing you on the, the, the yard, seeing Richard Wallace, seeing Paige, seeing Benji, and then seeing people as we're just like passing by, just holding up our, our fists, honking horns, holding our signs. And it was the first time in, in, in a few years now that it was more than like work or duty or responsibility. It was all encompassing. Um, and then once I was able to start hearing the responses and getting close enough to the windows to see that, you know, folks who were, who were locked up made signs on the windows or made messages or communicating directly or are pointing, you know, there's a direct contact um, that sometimes or can often be missing in our work. I just felt invigorated in this time. Like I'm saying, it is all real. It is all tangible. Uh, yeah. Some just like white Chicago lady like pulled up and just stopped next to my car out of all of them and said, what is this for? And I just said, two, I said, decarceration, period. It's a public health crisis. And she said, oh, OK, yeah. And it's <laughs> they drove off, right? <laughs> um, and I, I was went, a little worried when yeah, you started the yeah. story. <laughs> and that lady was Mrs. Tom Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> and right and like you know that is usually like an antagonist right you you're worried that's usually an antagonistic conversation yeah. or i wasn't even prepared to speak i was just in the car um and even that mode of being in the car and not having like be physically drained in the same way um yeah it was just beautiful on on the personal in our body level in that space but it felt like a reinvigoration uh a, 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 a high point a, a provocation of our people of our movement and so in that mm-hmm. as somebody whose life work is you know directly facing this destruction are you starting to see or feel the problems and solutions and the trajectory and the path in any different or unique specific ways because of these dire conditions mm. this ain't channel 12 this ain't <laughs> i know i really well i really want to say yes because i really want to be hopeful in that way but i'm not i'm not sure if i do yet i think it's our job to make that true and right now, I feel like we're so much in triage mode. Um, and I also, I do think there's like a opportunity, right? Like y- you all know, we all know, many of your listeners know, like abolition isn't just getting people out of cages. It's not just tearing down these death-making institutions. It's also about building up an alternative, building up um, a world in which people have the resources they need to be healthy and well and be in right relationship and um, alternative ways of handling conflict and harm and all of that. And I think I feel a lot of optimism about that part of abolition, like the part of abolition about trying to figure out how to meet people's needs and um, what we could do with cash payments to everyone, um, what we could do with restoring, recreating a social safety net that allows people to live, really. And of course, that is connected to not targeting and feeding people into the mass criminalization system. So I do feel more optimistic about those things. Six months after this is over, three months after this is over, if we can hold on to the memory of who was essential and what the dangers that they faced were in their work that has been so consistently undervalued, And knowing that it's primarily work done by the same communities that are targeted by criminalization and getting real protections, getting real resources, getting living wages. I mean, I feel optimistic about that project. 
are you getting pissed off in any new or unique ways? I'm starting to ask people that more. And oh, all these yeah. Zoom calls. I have, I have a total <laughs> rant. My, yes. my current thing that I'm really angry about is um, <laughs> in, <laughs> I've already gone on this rant once today. Uh, I'm really. So you rehearsed. That's good. Yeah. I've been, well, I've, I've also like, I've called people and sort of gut checked it too, because I wanted to make sure that I'm not just like off the rails, but there is this trend right now that I think is the same old paternalism punishment mentality directed towards people in the criminal legal system, but it's being reframed under public health. And so it's about like screening and directing people and sending people places. And it's this idea of like, we can't let people out because they've been exposed. And so we're going to pretend that this is a concern about healthcare when really it's about controlling people. It's about assuming uh, and suggesting that people who are exiting incarceration don't have the same regard for their own well-being, for the health of their loved ones that we all have, right? Um, that all of us are supposed to be assuming that we've been potentially exposed and social distancing at home. It's this argument from institutions that have never cared about the resources that people have in their communities saying, we can't let people out of jail. We can't let people out of prison because some of them don't have housing. People didn't have housing before they were criminalized, but now that lack of resources is going to be used to justify their ongoing incarceration during this pandemic in which their life and well-being is at stake. And lo and behold, as resources have started to be gathered and people have started, you know, some other advocates or service organizations have put together housing and people still are not being released right and many people had somewhere to go anyway but there was this they're idea like, they're like we would do it but we're busy moving these goalposts we'll be right back <laughs> right exactly exactly and also just like it's not safer to be in jail right and 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 if it were then then the pro- policy proposal would be to go arrest homeless people and put them in jail and it's not it's to give them housing right and not just any housing but safe housing to put them in hotels or to put them in places that allow for the same things we all need right now, as opposed to these like mass shelters that um, people might normally be in or that people are setting up now. And so also we just come from the space of deferring to people about where they want to be. So if somebody is in the jail right now or they're in prison and maybe they don't know exactly where they're going to go when they get out, if they want out, like I'm on the side of that person getting out, right? I'm on the side of that person choosing where they go. And then we have, as a society, this big question to ask, which is of all the people who need resources they don't currently have, how are we going to fight for them to get those? How are we going to demand those things at the scale we need? We, we can and should do the mutual aid work of providing what we can. And we also have to constantly be making these demands because the need is great. And there are a lot of resources and they're currently still being spent on locking people up. That is my current rant. This idea that, you know, people leaving incarceration, one, shouldn't be allowed to unless they've sort of proved that they have all these things that we've systematically denied many people that are actually deeply connected to why people are in that system in the first place in many ways. And then also this idea that we somehow like connect health status health risks to some kind of surveillance or tracking like the number of questions that we've gotten from news media from sometimes elected officials about like well how will you track people like oh the rate of infection is so high in the jail so if you release people how will you track them 
Like, how will you monitor them? And it's like, we we won't because this isn't about surveillance and control and <laughs> expanding the reach of the state to now include whether or not someone went and took advantage of some kind of healthcare resource, right? And that is the logic and the mechanisms that, uh, you know, I don't have a, I don't know how to do it right, um, but that is what, you know, the most, quote, advanced ways to be countering this pandemic is with active, active monitoring and tracking and tiers of access and, yeah, a reinforcement of all these structures. So it's, you know, some wild shit. And I, I hear you as like, you know, it's the kind of thing that if the toothpaste gets out of the tube, it's going to be really hard to get back in. Yeah. And it's like if we take it out of the the setting of incarceration, it's like the difference between some kind of public health martial law where we station police on every corner and then they forcefully take your temperature and then they cart you off somewhere if you seem symptomatic versus like the vision that we all have about free and voluntary access to the things we need. Like it's way different to have this sort of state screening where you then, depending on your outcome, you get shunted into these different directions and there's all these different things placed on you versus like, well, we just need access to the things we need. We need access to the healthcare and the clinics and the money to allow us to stay home. That's beautiful. I think um, we should wrap there. Um, we mentioned the call in. We mentioned just keeping an eye out. Where should folks be looking for more information? Um, and is there any uh, one thing that you're doing in your day that has been helpful for you that you would want to share that maybe would be helpful for someone else working through this time? Self-care is not my strength. (laughs) Um, I I, I didn't say it had to be taking care of you. How's the core? Oh, you know, it's not my yoga practice is really suffering because I need that peer pressure. I need an in, I need to commit uh, in person. Like I need to be in a room. I can't leave without feeling embarrassed because (laughs) I'm just watching a video at home. I will. it off. Um, So I need to work on that. I appreciate that positive peer pressure. from I'm I'm, I'm always here checking on that core. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I, you know, I am, uh, my roommate is off quarantining with her, boyfriend so I am alone in my apartment with my dog and what I get a lot of value out of the days when I like leave the computer leave the apartment and go for a really nice long walk with the dog the reason I'm I love living with a dog so much is they're just they're pure joy at everything so I try to channel that energy shout out to the pooch yeah yeah what's the what's the dog's name Jolie beautiful <laughs> well we'll leave we'll leave you two to some quality time um we'll share all the links the graphics and everything on our socials thank you in this moment and beyond uh for all of the work that you do um and um you know we look forward to when we come out of this time getting offline and being back in a room with you and, and so continuing to support the work of the bond fund Ditto. I appreciate you all so much. Yeah, we love you. Appreciate you. Love you too. It's beautiful to see you today. Yeah. Here, do you want to want Jolie? I'm going to show you a Jolie. There's. Oh, there it is. <laughs> okay. Okay. Bye. Peace. Uh, and we'll be back on the line uh, soon, showcasing someone else reshaping the culture of our city for the more equitable and creative. Much love to the people. Peace. 
Rosie. Daniel. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Look who's here in the studio. It's me. How's it feel to be in here? Well, I was a little nervous Uh earlier, but Mm -hmm. now I'm a little more calm. Wonderful. And I'm staring directly (laughs) into your eyes. But we do that all the time anyway. Yeah, but there's not always all this equipment in between us. Well, maybe this will help. Let's play a game. Okay. So I'm thinking maybe like a taboo. Taboo. Like I'll give you some clues and then you'll have to guess what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Does that know, make sense? I know how to play taboo, Daniel. Oh, you'd prefer if I did not taboo-splain? Yes, please. All right, let's get started. Timer on the clock. Ooh. All right, first up. Okay. It's an independent podcast app. Got it. It embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. Mm-hmm. It has no exclusives. Mm-hmm. No premium content. All right. No paywalls. Great. And it's a great podcast app for everyone. Mm-hmm. Do you think you know it? I think I do. Huh. What do you think it is? Sounds like the Overcast app. Beep, 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 beep. Toots got it. Yay. Look at that. I win. Nicely done. How does one get the app? Well, if one were to want to get the app, one could get it for free in the app store. Fantastic. Cool. You going to check it out? I might. Very wonderfully noncommittal. Excellent. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. Let's get out of here. Bye.